Well, good morning. Oh, I'm still getting used to this. <laughs> this is, I think I preached at Pacific a couple weeks ago, and uh, it's, it's, it's very new to me, and, but it's very exciting to, to see what God's doing around me and what He seems to be doing with me and through me. Can you hear me all right? Okay. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for the encouragement. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> yes. Well, let's, let's pray real quick, okay? Father God, I just thank you for this time that we can hear from your word. I pray that, that you're glorified, that, that you are speaking through me, Father. And I just pray and, and I ask your blessings over each one here and those that couldn't be here for various reasons. Father, we ask that you'd bless them and bring them back safely to us. We, just, uh, we pray for John as he's over at Pacific today installing Russ and Rachel as their new pastor. And uh, we just ask your blessings over them and over that service, Father, that you're, that you're glorified there as well. Um, we thank you, we praise you, and we give you glory, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, last week, we, we, John talked about Stephen and his uh, discussion with the uh, with, uh, <laughs> religious people in the temple and their aggravation with him. And that he was seized and brought before the Sanhedrin. And they couldn't find anything wrong with him, so they had to drum up. They had to find witnesses to accuse him of things that weren't true. So now he's standing before the Sanhedrin, and like, like Scott read, they're wanting, to, wanting him to give an answer for why he was preaching. So now standing before the Sanhedrin, he, he begins his speech to answer the charges. It's a declaration of his beliefs as a Jewish man, and it's a prelude to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus begins with Abraham. And in Genesis 11 and 12, we see that Abraham is a descendant of the line of Shem, one of the sons of Noah. He was 75 years old when, when the glory of God appeared to him and called him to leave Haran and his father's household to go to a land that God would show him. This one act of obedience by Abraham was a huge step of faith. Today, we move across town or across states, and it can be a big deal for us. But imagine how it was for them several, several thousand years ago, living in tents, having to haul your possessions around in, on camels or mules or, or in carts. All that to go to a land that God would show him. No map, no set designation as far as he knew. But Abraham had, to, had no idea what he might run into or how he would be received when he got there. He just had to trust that God was with him and was guiding him. What did God promise Abraham? In Genesis 12, 2 and 3, it tells us, it says... God said, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's quite a promise. Abraham wouldn't even have realized half of it in his lifetime. He didn't even have any kids. In fact, his son Isaac wouldn't be born for another 20 years. When Abraham was 100 years old and his wife Sarah was 90. So they didn't have kids. She was barren. Plus, she was past the age of childbearing. Yeah, that was a big promise just to get past the first hurdle. In verse 4 of Acts 7, Stephen says of Abraham, He left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After his father died, God sent him to this land where you are now living. So despite the obvious reasons why it couldn't or shouldn't work, Abraham chose to trust the word of God. Would you have enough faith to obey like this? Abraham had to trust that God would keep his word. But first he had to believe that God really told him to go. But I think that he had a good example of obedience to God and in trusting his authority. Did you know that Abraham was born 292 years after the flood and 57 years before the death of Noah? I did the math. The writer of Genesis doesn't tell us how old Abraham was when his father Terah moved Abraham, Abraham's wife Sarah, and Terah's nephew Lot to Haran. But there's a good chance that Noah at least had some influence on Abraham. Do you think that just maybe he heard a first-person witness of Noah's experiences with God? How exciting would that be? How important do you think it is to give your witness to others? If that's not enough, let's move on a few years. In Genesis 22, we find where Abraham is tested. In verses 2 and 3, God tells him, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and sacrifice him. This is the first time the word love is mentioned in the Bible. And it add, add to it the phrase about Abraham's only son, and it parallels John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The Bible tells us that early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He doesn't even question it. He just heads out with everything he needs to obey the word of the Lord. He waited 20 years for God to give him a son. He was over a hundred years of age now. And now he's ready to sacrifice Isaac without another word. They travel three days. Then he and Isaac hike up to where they plan to worship God. In Genesis 7, 7 and 8, Isaac asks his father, Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answers, God will provide the, burnt offering, the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And they go on. The text doesn't tell us how old Isaac is. But he's been, he's been involved with sacrifices before with his father. He knows he knew what was needed for the sacrifice for the, to worship. And he had to at least be a teenager or older because he carried the wood for the fire. Then when Abraham started to bind him, 
to put him on the altar, Isaac didn't struggle. Don't you think that he could have overpowered Abraham pretty easily, being so young and Abraham so old? But he submitted to his father, which shows he trusted his father completely. In Genesis 22, 10 through 12, it says this, Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son, your only son. Abraham believed so much that when God told him to sacrifice Isaac on the altar, he didn't hesitate. God told him to take Isaac to a certain mountain and to sacrifice him. God had promised to make Abraham into a great nation, and he had waited so long. He and Sarah were already beyond childbearing age, but he knew the one who promised was faithful. Hebrews eleven nineteen tells us that Abraham reasoned that God could raise Isaac from the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. He was, Isaac was dead as soon as Abraham decided to do what God told him to. Abraham was looking forward through faith, trusting the promises of the Creator of heaven and earth. What are you willing to put on the altar of your heart? More importantly, what is God asking you to put on the altar of your heart? Do you trust Him and His promises enough to do what He requires? God had a plan. A plan that had its origins before the creation. In the Garden of Eden, that plan was set in motion with the first promise of a coming Savior. Genesis 3.15 tells us, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This promise is directed to the serpent, but we will be the beneficiaries. The same one who deceived Adam and Eve in the garden is still deceiving people today. We also have a first-person witness of the plan of God and our Savior, and it's found in John 1, 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life. Which was, from which, with the, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen, or what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to you to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you, God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie 
and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and he will cleanse us from all If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and His word has no place in our lives. John walked and learned from Jesus. He was one of the twelve and he learned the plan of God to save the world firsthand. And what is God's plan for all humanity? We have to go back to John 3, 16 through 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever lives in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. What has God promised us? He's promised us life. To all who would choose that life, to all who would confess their sin and submit to Jesus Christ, God has promised eternal life despite the fact that it cost Him His one and only Son. Hebrews 9.28 tells us, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Jesus Christ demonstrated his love for us by giving his life for us. If that's true, if we are saved, where's our focus? If God so loved the world, how much should we then love him? Do we love others enough to speak up? before they walk into hell? Are we using our words to build pathways to heaven? Or are we digging graves? Father God, we thank you for this time and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your encouragement. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the privilege, Father, to be involved with your plan to save this world. We just love you, we praise you, and I pray that we're encouraged to go out and tell others about what you've done in our lives and in the lives of so many others. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.